looking to start a podcast but don't know where to begin? Look no further. The team at Dodge Media Productions has 20 years of experience as podcast listeners and observing the industry and eight years experience in podcast production. We can help you take your podcast from idea to fruition and we'll make the process seamless and easy. We'll help you with everything from recording and editing to hitting the charts on Apple Podcasts. So what are you waiting for? Contact us today and let's get started. DodgeMediaProductions.com. You're listening to Dodge Movie Podcast. Your hosts are Christy and Mike Dodge, the founders of Dodge Media Productions. We produce films and podcasts, so this is a podcast about films. Join them as they share their passion for filmmaking. Welcome back, everybody, to the Dodge Movie Podcast. This is episode 144. And before we get too much into the episode, I want to thank you all for your listenership because we just recently surpassed 7,000 downloads. So that is awesome out of 144 episodes. And we couldn't get to that 7,000 number without you. So thank you very, very much. We are going to be talking about the 1995 movie, Something to Talk About. So we have something to talk about. We watched it on Apple for $3.99. The director is Lass Hallstrom who also did 1993's What's Eating Gilbert Grape, 1999's Cider House Rules, and Chocolat from... Chocolat? The, yes, Chocolat. Was uh, Judy Dench in that one? Yeah. <laughs> She's a national treasure. <laughs> from the year 2000. It stars Julia Roberts, Dennis Quaid, Robert Duvall, Gina Rollins. Um, Jenna Rollins, I think is how it's pronounced. Kira Sedgwick, Brett Cullen, Haley All plays... Doodlebug. Doodlebug. Their daughter. And the DP was Sven Nyqvist. Hallstrom and Nyqvist, they sound like Swedes. Yes, they are. They are Swedish. I was hoping you were going to say they met at an Abelskiefer cooking (laughs) contest. That would be better. Sven did 1978's Pretty Baby, 81's Postman Always Wings twice. Star 80 in 1983. In 93, he did Sleepless in Seattle. (gasps) <gasps> I know. And then he also did What's Eating Gilbert Grape. The writer is Callie Corey, and she also wrote the famous Thelma and Louise, The Divine Secrets of the Yaya Sisterhood, and 124 episodes of Nashville. Okay. There were 124 episodes of Nashville? Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so is that like Grey's Anatomy, that show's still on? I don't think, I don't know if it's still on. Wow, 124 I, episodes, that's like six seasons. That's a long yeah, run. Yeah, it did good. It had a lot and of And she wrote fam- them all. Wow. Well, I don't know about all of them, but definitely 124 episodes. That's a lot of episodes of anything to write. Yeah. The synopsis is a woman's world is rocked when she discovers her husband is cheating on her. The tagline is a story about husbands, wives, parents, children, and other natural disasters. It's okay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, all right. I have no trivia. I tried to do research on this one. There just really wasn't a whole lot out there. So let's kick it off with your pickup line. Oh, my God. Make a noise or something. And that's what Grace says when Eddie sneaks up on her. Mm, that's right. That's right. She's she's in mid, I think, breakfast prep or lunch prep. It's It's like the... A lot of movies start out this... Well, I shouldn't say a lot. There's a handful of movies that start out this way, like the chaotic morning, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, 
So I, I think the dialogue isn't maybe quite on, uh, on the nose, but that interaction does definitely kind of foreshadow the main conflict of the film. I have to say the character of, of Eddie as played by Quaid is such an unlikable character to me. And that's an example where he seems to be entirely ignorant or uncaring of other people around him. Mm-hmm. And there's a there's a spot later in the film where Julia Roberts' character of Grace and Eddie have a conversation kind of about what happened, what led him to, to go to the blonde and, and et cetera. And I thought the dialogue as written was very accurate and realistic, but I still couldn't stand his character. I know from the writing I was supposed to want them to get back together, but I am still bitter that they get back together in the final scene. I can't stand that character. I don't know why, but like, so maybe Quaid did a fantastic job. He landed that performance exactly where he did, which was despicable. But boy, I don't like that character. I don't. I don't feel like we are necessarily, I mean, obviously it's a rom-com, so we are supposed to want them to get back together. And does he change? Like, does, does the love change him or is it her that changes? I, I believe it's more her than him. I would say her, um, because she leaves her father stable and kind of goes out on her own. Mm-hmm. And so there's a couple of touch points. Like her sister says, like she points out, like you chose him despite his nickname. And I can't remember his nickname. Was. Hound dog. Oh, yeah. So like she had full warning and, and she invited him to the Sadie Hawkins dance. And I think why I've always loved this movie is it's a woman who is trying to do all the things that society and her family are telling her one ought to do for satisfaction and love and this is just what you do i think there's even a scene with jenna rollins and her character because she's like mom why did you put up with this and we get in in a very hurtful way julia kind of lashes out at her mom and lets it be known that her father cheated and the mom kind of looked the other way and that's what everybody is kind of wanting let's see so i don't keep saying grace they want grace to do the same thing just you know boys will be boys and take care of your daughter put your head down keep working and just keep moving on and it's the south where yeah i was gonna say it it is um the you know the film very i think accurately captures what i would call the southern just smile and and keep going kind of thing right they're kind of english in that way like we don't talk about our feelings we push them down and we don't talk about we maintain appearances yeah right yeah And, and i think there's even dialogue in there i did make a note of it but where they you know they talk about the concept of embarrassing the family despite coming from a family unit which is probably culturally southern i never got that right like kind of who cares you do you do you and i i I don't necessarily translate that to the rest of the family like oh your brother is a dope so you're a dope like no i mean he's your brother but eh. but i think there are people and you mentioned that seems to be very english as well in the south where the family name is something important and i think this film kind of captures that and I don't know if it was intended to be this way, but I very much got a feel from the set as well as the um, black maid and their clothing that they were this rich kind of antebellum plantation family that uh, Robert Duvall's character, he did not 
come into this, or he didn't like make this in his lifetime. This was, uh, you know, a long lineage of, of kind of aristocracy. And so that whole thing of, of grace, you have to go to the ladies meeting and make, do the bake sale and this and the other. And, and, and we see that she's struggling. And I, I would say, I don't think it's a very good priority because she keeps leaving doodlebug places, forgetting to pick her up. Well, she's so frazzled. Like yeah, she yeah, has frazzled. so much on her plate of trying to appease all of these different people to be the perfect wife, to be the perfect daughter, to be the perfect like stable manager. And, and so she's juggling so many things that, yeah, unfortunately there are some, I think they're intended to be comedic, but when you pull back, it is kind of sad (laughs) that she just keeps forgetting her daughter. And kind of even when she starts to quote unquote, lose it, she starts doing things that are embarrassing no matter who you are, like going out in your, and, and inappropriate. Like I think we both cringed a little bit. She gets her daughter out of bed to put them both in the car to basically go stalk her husband and confront him and confront him publicly. And so how embarrassing for her, how embarrassing for the daughter, like it's just inappropriate for your kid to see you freak out on the street on your husband. Like, so it's interesting you say that because to me, the scene of her in her like nightgown and robe outside the window yelling at her husband with his girlfriend, I'd be like, yep, that, that's kind of about what happens, right? Oh, it looks like Grace found out about the blonde, but you're right. The kid, and, and I think from a writing perspective, both leaving Doodlebug behind as well as dragging Doodlebug to the bar that evening. I mean, I think that heightens it. If if Grace just left her coffee on top of the car and drove off, we would see that she was frazzled, but it wouldn't have the emotional impact as leaving Doodlebug at school and driving off. Right. right? And and the first time she does it in the opening scene of the movie, she says something like, um, I'm sorry I did it again. Or she says something yeah, to know the fact this that is this isn't the, the first, first time. Yeah. What do you think, what do you make of, I was thinking about what you were saying, and if this is a family of generational wealth that has been handed down. Does that make more sense? Why the Kara Sedgwick character, I'm stalling to scroll up for Emma Ray. Emma Ray still lives kind of at home. It's basically, it's almost like an outbuilding. I mean, it's, they've made it into a cute little cottage, but it's steps from their parents' front door. And, at least I got the impression that she's the younger sister of the two that Grace is older yeah, that's the and Grace I got. yeah and Grace kind of is exemplifying all those firstborn characteristics of you know following in the footsteps and being so driven and everything but Kara Cedric's character great uh, Emma Ray she is almost like bucking the is she bucking the system she seems like she's more willing to say what she feels to and to kind of even to stand up to their dad or to be the sarcastic one that is kind of saying the truth but yet she's still living at home and she's easily in her 30s so part of that is i consider the sassy younger sister trope which is interesting because i didn't compare the nominal ages of the actresses but you're right i got the feel that kira's character is supposed to be younger but in a sense uh she plays the role both narratively as well as in in the milieu of the film of the court jester 
that she's the one who can uh, say the things that need to be said, but no one else can say. And certainly in a Southern family, I think uh, that's a, a trope in and of itself is the one kind of black sheep who is allowed to say the things that no one else can say. And that is certainly the MRA character, right? And we can cover a little bit more about that in the automotive section. Okay. But yes, she's intended to be the, yeah, the kind of the commentator. And she even does like, I think so early in the film, like the first act. Uh, yeah, I think it's, it's that first scene where Julie is driving the daughter to school. So she like forgets her, doubles back, gets her. And I think she's taking her to school. Yeah, it would make and sense. Cool. She sees Grace sees him cheating, like she sees him kissing a woman on a street corner, and the daughter doesn't. And so she goes on. And so it happens really early in the film. Like it kicks off like what we're dealing with. And when Emma Ray sees him next, she knees him in the nuts. And she's like, well, I feel better. So don't you think like Emma Ray is doing what the audience would want to do? Because we immediately, we don't get any time to like Dennis Quaid's character. Well, yeah, the the first thing we see him is he he is kind of a bit of a weenie to his hardworking wife. And then we see him with this hussy. Right. Yeah, it's interesting that scene. I believe I paused the film uh, when we first see Eddie kissing the blonde. And as a, a not practiced philanderer, I don't know the <laughs> logistics of this, but it would seem, right, that kissing her on a busy street corner would run the risk, not necessarily of, of Grace seeing him, but people they know. Right. Well, and if this is the way to school. Like... Right. Yeah. <laughs> this is like the major road through town. You're like, but then after reading uh, Esther Brawl's book, uh, that it could have been that he was kind of wanted to get caught. Right. right? Well, and he was a hound dog. And there is, um, I can't remember, is it in the ladies meeting or somewhere else? She finds out that there are other women in the town that he has made time with. And that was actually a fantastic bit of writing as the woman starts apologizing for sleeping with Eddie, the other woman. And it and at first Grace is talking about a different thing. And then slowly it dawns on Grace. Oh, she's apologizing for her stripping Eddie, yeah. not for someone else. And there, and she has a great line where she stands up and she says, I was just wondering if anyone else here had my husband. Yeah. And that is especially in that um, culture that, that that's an amazingly brazen thing to do, which is, is such a transformation of that character from the beginning of the film. Yes, right. she's starting to kind of come out of that shell as the perfect overall woman and kind of do things that are challenging the system as well as kind of discovering herself. But then in the end, so it's it makes for some funny scenes, although this could be at least a misdemeanor, if not a felony. Her <laughs> like great aunt suggests that she poison him with syrup of Ipecac. 
I don't, to make him sick? I guess it's not considered poisoning. That's a really good point. I'll have to um, contact my legal beagle on this issue about whether that would be considered a form of assault and battery to um, <laughs> Cause sneak. someone violent. <laughs> yeah, but it, that's a really good question because one could argue that vomiting or the other end is not life-threatening. Mm-hmm. So, curious, yeah. So, I think she realizes that maybe she's taking it a little too far, and then I, I don't know, I kind of got at least my, I don't know, when the, when did I say this came out? 93? My 21-year-old uh, self? 95. Right. So, my 24-year-old self. When I first saw this, I felt like she saw him hurting, probably a little bit of guilt and realized what she had done and maybe she shouldn't have listened to her great aunt and she took it a little too far. But also it was like, Oh no, I love that person and they're hurting. That's what I think I took it as a younger woman. Does that make sense? You mean that's what the auntie said when she gave her the Ipecac? No. So how I responded to her, her poisoning him and then when she sees him hurt and in distress, that's oh, kind oh. of when she changes her mind and starts to soften to him. Cause like, or no, I guess they had had a conversation and they were dancing and it got romantic. That's but what yeah, the she turn did, was. She did immediately though, feel bad about <laughs> dosing him, I guess you would say. But see, that's uh, again, at that point, now I start to turn on Grace because I, I don't like him. Yeah, because you didn't want. So that happens. And then they basically they get back together. And at the very end, it's very. Oh, we we don't know that they get back together, I guess. And so she's going off to vet school, which was her dream. She told her dad, I'm not going to be your stable person. And in both ways, right? A horse stable and <laughs> And, and so we don't know. And she goes, no, I've got a date. And then it turns out she has a date with him. He's waiting at home and he's cooking dinner. That was my vomit sound. Sorry. Oh. <laughs> and um, there's something in the Cuisinart, like it looks like whipped cream or something. And she starts to try it. But then she looks at him and there's this moment where she's like, oh, no, is he getting revenge? And so she she has him try it first. So, oh. I just realized this is like La La Land. Just chop off the back five minutes and you get a good film. <laughs> well, yeah, you just want to see her. You want to see her going to vet school. You want to see her maybe yeah, going that's the out resolution. on a date with somebody. Maybe she dates Dermot Mulrooney. Even if she doesn't date Dermot Mulrooney. <laughs> even if we just, she's she like, goes to vet tells school. her dad she's going to vet school. She's as a character. She's grown. She's moving on. Roll credits. Yeah. Yeah. But I do think that this, you know, I do love gray characters and I think it can be tricky when you have, I mean, cause she obviously had eyes for him when they were in college because, you know, she asked him and did she, Oh, was she attracted to him because she was always the straight and narrow, did everything right, did everything everyone expected her to do. And his wild side she wanted that because I just find that I tend to pick friends that are a little on the wild side, kind of, you know, and they, those friends sometimes annoy you, but <laughs> you know what I'm saying? No. Um, 
No, you don't. <laughs> so, I, I, well, okay. You I know understand, what I'm saying. You don't agree. I understand agree. what you're saying. Yeah. yeah I actually, uh, you know, without going too far off, but well, this it's was more, this sorry. was something as a as a nice guy in college that drove me nuts. Yeah, I do think a huge percentage of women are attracted to the bad boy, and then they whine and complain when. He's a bad boy, right? Dr. Phil said if he'll do it with you, he'll do it to you. And that drove us nice guys absolutely bonkers. But yeah, that very well, that's a good insight. I bet that was the attraction to that character. She, Because he was hound dog and he had eyes for everyone else, he was a bad boy. But don't marry those people. <laughs> so it makes more sense, though, I just realized earlier, she married her dad. Yeah, that's a good point because uh, Robert Duvall was also had a wandering eye as we've we've been, but you know what was fascinating about that is that the the hypocrisy where the doctor told Jenna Rollins that she had nice hips, and then he tries to to beat him up. Wow, what phenomenal hypocrisy there! Mm-hmm. This guy just said something you don't like. You did stuff. Right. Right. Like what what ground does he have? But I think that, again, that's a realistic portrayal of 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 human behaviors. It's just ironic. Yes. So I don't. Do you have anything else that you want to cover as far as the story or cinematography or editing? Um, I will say for the cinematography, two things. One is there were some gel shots on Rollins and Roberts at the fried chicken dinner that was very old-timey Hollywood. I always appreciate that. And then they obviously shot modern footage of Duvall and Roland at a horse show, but then they ageified it, which in 95, I assume they had to do with film stock, not with digital stuff. So credit to the uh, camera department for that one. Yeah, I noticed that her hairstyle changed over the course of the film. Okay, so I do have a note. First of all, my first note under uh, costume hair makeup is Grace's braid. Mm. (laughs) So that was working. And my last note is her hair at that final party is at least 20 years out of date. (laughs) And I mean, this stuff is never an accident, right? I'm just curious what... What the director and 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 the hair and makeup department were going with on that one, because that bumped. And I'm not really a hair person for obvious reasons. <laughs> My hair gave up a long time ago, and I, I don't really follow those things. But um, I noticed, man, that was a really really old hair. So I was looking. I remember reading and and doing some of the research, and unfortunately, I didn't write it down. Uh, the film had a different title, and then something fell through, and and then they chose the Bonnie Raitt song. Perhaps it was Ain't Nothing But a Hound Dog. But they couldn't get the rights for that song. Oh, I like that. I was trying to see when something to talk about. I think that song had already come out and then they, and then they, um, yeah, I think it came out a few years before the film. Yeah, I I remember looking that up. Um, was there any head trauma? We know there was some stomach trauma. Was there any head trauma? I went ahead and listed Emma Ray kneeing Eddie in the nuts under head trauma. Yeah. <laughs> different kind. Yeah, different kind. I get it. Um, Barbara Stanwyck gets backhanded uh, in 1947's California on the TV. <laughs> and then, wow, very meta. And then Wiley attempts to punch Dr. Frank Lewis, who dodges the blows and mentions that he boxed in the Navy. So uh, kind of, kind of uh, not really direct head trauma, but three adjacent so besides the smoochie that kicks off the conflict in this film between Eddie and his 
blonde lady. Is there any other smoochies? Smoochie, smoochie, smoochie. Uh, I made note of Jamie smooches Grace after the bar. I think Jamie is the divorcee who has the horse. Mm Mm-hmm who we are supposed to think is who she has the date with when she comes home. And so it's an extra kick in the guts when it's that scumbag Eddie. Oh, Eddie. Um, and how about a driving review? All right. So um, in this particular case, the driving itself was mostly okay, with the exception of either Grace's silver 93 Jeep Grand Cherokee has horribly loose steering or it was on a process trailer and nobody told Julia that the background wasn't moving because there's a lot of hand motion from the driver and nothing happening (laughs) with the rest of the car. I always forget to look at that and you always look at it. So I love that. (laughs) So that silver Cherokee says that she's a responsible American. You'll notice that her father Wiley has a white 69 Lincoln Continental Mark III, which says money and conservatism. I will mention they all drive American with two exceptions. One is Emma Ray. She has a lemon chiffon 56 MG, which says that she's quirky. It's the non-American car. It's incredibly impractical on a horse farm. It's expensive to maintain all these things. It is the absolute least practical choice she could have gone with, but it, it matches her character. Yeah. I was just going to say that it totally feeds into her character. It's kind of like the spoiled, spoiled younger sister yeah. who's, still kind of probably financially reliant on the folks because we never see what she does for a living. Yeah, I, I think she comments on the family for a living. But <laughs> um, And so, yeah, the first scene we see her, she comes out and gets into it. It's a great use of the car to indicate, kind of like you do with wardrobe. This tells you about the character. And the only other person who does not drive an American-made vehicle is Eddie. He has a silver 94 Mercedes-Benz E320, and it's a two-door. So he can't say like, oh, you know, it's expensive sedan for work. I have to look like him. No, it's the two door. So he's just a pretentious douche and he's not committed to his family because he has a kid. Why would you get a two door coupe like that if you have a young kid who has to climb in the back and get a car seat? Totally tells us all we need to know about that character. It's fine if people do drive that car, just not a family man. It's not a good choice. So that was uh, th- that. That was it. I think at that um, for that part of the country, that all all those cars make sense, right? They would drive American. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, shall we go to the numbers? Let's go to the numbers. So this is a Warner Brothers picture. It had a budget of thirty million dollars. It brought in. 50 million domestically and 77 million worldwide. So adjusted for today, that would be like 123 million. It doesn't get high marks. It's a 5.7 out of 10 on IMDb. Critics really didn't like this movie at 39% and audiences found it not much better, but a little bit better at 52%. It's an hour and 46 minutes. It is rated R, I believe, probably, what, for language, probably? A couple F words in there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is listed as a comedy, drama, romance, and it was filmed in Georgia and South Carolina. It received three nominations for Kira Sedgwick. She got an American Comedy Award, a Golden Globe Award, and the Chicago Film Critics Association Award. And Julia won that year the award for worst foreign actress. Worst I know. foreign actress. <laughs> That's pretty harsh. Oh, okay. Just as an aside, why give out that award? 
I agree with you. I'm not just being funny, but no. h- how does that help anything? Like, does it help Julia be a better actress to get that award? Right. No, I don't think so. Everybody showed up and did their job for this film. I mean, it's uh, this, like you said, the the set is beautiful. Right. Oh yes, with an asterisk. <laughs> but um, you've got these beautiful horses and this wonderful scenery, and yeah. you know, yeah. I mean, it's just everybody showed up and did their job. Everybody's makeup looks great. Everybody's right. hair looks great. The images are fine. The sound is fine. Everybody did fantastic. Yeah. So there's no reason to do that. I shouldn't have mentioned it. Well, but I think it, it does kind of highlight why I think it's weird to give out any award for art, right? But in general, right. If you don't have something nice to say, breathe through your nose is a good plan. But more importantly, I don't think we should let our frustration with the story, because some of us apparently don't like the Eddie character, affect the review of the, the film. I mean, that's part of it, but it's not all of it. And so, yeah, I think it's better than the critics and, and the IMDb rating would say. And I do think of the, like... N minus one people on that film who showed up and did their jobs very well as professionals. And we can argue about kind of the ending. Maybe we could take the editor and the director to task. But for the most part, I would say that's not Julie Roberts' fault or even Quaid's fault, right? I mean, he was doing the the part that was asked for. And uh, like I said, apparently landed slimy scumbag very well. Well, and could you look at this as a cautionary tale that maybe for some people, if they are in a relationship where they keep forgiving their partner for, you know, misdeeds, do you see this and somewhat become inspired to say like, oh, I'm not going to let that happen to me? Yes. This comes back to, we were just talking earlier this day about a Hallmark movie and they have gone the other end of that spectrum, right? Of aspirational. Here's what you should do. But this could be argued, this film is kind of, here's what you should not do, right? Don't be Eddie. Well, and I don't think that we would want movies filled with all people doing all good things. Well, you're right. It's not very dramatic. It probably wouldn't be interesting at a certain point, right? It's like cotton candy, maybe. Like, it's really nice, but as a counterpoint. And sometimes, you know, you you need a, a feoa with a little tartness in your life. <laughs> Because there are there are eddies out there, and you know, I mean, there are female eddies. So right, right, yeah. We need to be aware. And what would we do if we encountered people like that? And sometimes there are interesting stories about people who are not at their best or not even nice people. Right. Right. I can't imagine how you could do this, but I think there is somewhere a way to make an interesting movie about Hitler. Right. There's probably some part of his life that if you you portray an example, Ridley Scott has a film out now about Napoleon. Right. Maybe not the nicest guy. Kind of apparently a bit of a dictator. He conquered lots of Europe. Lots of people died because of his choices. But maybe there's an interesting story there. Right. right? So I I will allow that. And that's where I don't want to go too far. But it's like I don't think it's fair to, to say that this is a bad film or that was a bad performance. Just because, you know, they tried to tell an interesting story. Maybe it didn't work out like everybody hoped, but I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's an okay film. I wouldn't say it's a bad film. Yeah, I enjoyed watching it again. Yeah. So that'll do it for this episode of the Dodge Movie Podcast. We have one correct guess for what this, the theme for this month is. The The films were, to give you a reminder, 
Three Amigos, City Slickers 2, Something to Talk About. And next week we are going to talk about Buck, a documentary about the gentleman who inspired the story, The Horse Whisperer. So turn in your guesses at Christy at DodgeMediaProductions.com. And never forget, Dodges never stop and neither do the movies. Thanks for listening to Dodge Movie Podcast with Christy and Mike Dodge of Dodge Media Productions. To find out more about this podcast and what we do, go to DodgeMediaProductions.com. Subscribe, share, leave a comment, and tell us what we should watch next. Dodges never stop, and neither do the movies. 